Welcome once again to the Irish in Sweden podcast, boys and girls. And my God, what a week that was. I'm only catching myself coming back as I'm putting the finishing touches to this podcast for you of a Sunday night. Uh, If you're paying any attention to me social media or paying any attention to me in general, you will have noticed that I was in Dublin last week doing a few bits and pieces. And indeed, our interview this week is with a member of the Swedish-Irish community over there. But more of that anon, I did a podcast with Mary Lou MacDonald, the president of Sinn Féin, and that has sort of taken off. Loads of people watching it on YouTube, and you'll actually find this podcast on YouTube. You may even be listed to this podcast on YouTube. What do I know? So uh, the so reason for all this, if you like, is because I have Aunt Morrissey helping me, and I have Murray, Molly Breen helping me, and uh, we're developing things, and we're changing things, and we're trying other things, and we're delighted to have you along as a listener. I've had one or two messages uh, from you about the kind of length of podcast that you want, and the kind of people you want me to be talking to, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, so it's been a, a very busy week indeed, and I just got back there. And there's a flight back from Dublin to Stockholm now on a Friday night, and it lands at a quarter past midnight, right? Brilliant, because the flight goes at 20 to 9 in the evening. Jesus, it makes for a long old day, lads. Uh, so you'd be getting back here at a quarter past 12, and then waiting on your bags and everything else like that. And if I did see you at the baggage hall up in Ireland airport, and I didn't look happy, my sincerest apologies for that. Because, uh, yeah, I wasn't happy at all. I was a bit worn out now altogether, and I just wanted to be bad. But it was a good old trip to Dublin. Uh, it was sport love us here in Stockholm, so uh, plenty of us here in Stockholm um, were, were heading back home and heading off to various other places during that time. So it was great. And now we are back into the wind-up for, St. Patrick's Day, right? There's a load of information. If you go to the Swedish Irish Society, just Google the Swedish Irish Society and you will find on their website all the details of the various different events. And another great way uh, to, to keep up is we have an Irish in Sweden community on WhatsApp, right? And I sort of run the community, if you like. It's based on sort of my account and I've created groups for culture and for sport and for events and for all sorts of stuff, right? And I'll pop stuff in there as it comes up. There's an Irish lad who's doing stand-up comedy now, a chap from Northern Ireland, on Tuesday night. So if you're listening to this as it comes out, it's Monday morning. So about 36 hours a lad from Northern Ireland is doing uh, stand-up comedy in Hagerstein's Wasson here and the south side of Stockholm so we pop links to all that kind of thing into that uh, those chat groups so you don't have to wait for the podcast every week and we'll shift some of the information in there and maybe start using the Irish and Sweden website a little bit more but if you want to know what's happening on St. Patrick's Day there will be parades on the Saturday the 16th in Stockholm and Malmö and then on the 17th Ian Maloney is doing great stuff down there in Gothenburg, uh, in particular Beans Bistro and they're going to be putting together events for families on the day and there'll be a bit of stew and a good bit of crack and music and a few points of stout and what have you. So that is all ahead of us. Uh, the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden is going to have its regular St. Patrick's Day lunch on the Friday here in Stockholm and I'm sure many in the business community will be coming to Stockholm for that event. I met several of you last year and O'Neill Costigan dropped in on his way back from America and it was great to see the Irish companies who were up in Yavla and Investoros and that kind of thing. Uh, turning up for that particular lunch. A great opportunity there to meet with people from the embassy and the state agencies and the various different businesses of all sizes. I can't remember now if Ivan Keane, the brewer, was there or not. But uh, yeah, it's a great opportunity. It's a great day out and it's a great way to get the uh, St. Patrick's Day festivities, uh, the whole weekend of festivities underway. 
Right, so I went to Dublin last week and um, it was amazing now because if you listen to the interview that I did with Mary Lou MacDonald, you will have heard that I got the time wrong, right? So I had booked an interview on Tuesday morning with the person that you're about to hear from and it's Madeleine Johansson from Mutala. Uh, Madde has lived in Ireland for the last 19 years. Uh, an amazing story of how she got there and uh, the slump, uh, the coincidence as the Swedes say, and she's still there. So uh, she probably sort of, you know, passed a few of us, like ships passing in the night as you were moving over here maybe she was moving over there but what's most interesting about Madeleine is that she has gotten involved in politics over there and she's actually part of South Dublin County Council so she has been involved she's with People Before Profit which is a left-wing party over there you may have known the likes of Gino Kenny uh, Paul Murphy I think Breed Smith is in there as well so it's like an alliance of left-wing politicians over there and it's interesting uh, to hear what she has to say coming from the background that she comes from and the sort of the social democratic Sweden that she grew up in and then just to compare that to what she's doing and she's in I think it's, it's South Clondalk and she'll explain the whole thing for herself but uh, had a little problem with the technology so uh, I'm not going to do a little musical intro now we'll just go straight into the interview right because uh, there's a little bit of a buzz over the first question I asked so I'm going to have to leave that out but I want to put it in anyway and it was basically me asking her whether I was speaking to Madeleine Johansson or Madde Johansson yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I suppose I'm sometimes Madeleine Johansson, or sometimes I'm Madeleine Johansson. <laughs> so. but, but, but for the last 19 years, you've been more of the former than the latter. Tell us how you came to be here, buddy. Yeah, so uh, it's a kind of, I suppose, a fairly regular story in a way. Um, I finished school in Sweden, gymnasiums, mm-hmm. um, in Lean Shopping. Uh, I lived in Motala. Mm. I went to Malta in the autumn for okay. three months to study English, which was great fun and mad and all that. Mm. Uh, came back for Christmas. Uh, this was in 2005. There were no jobs. Uh, and particularly in Motala, where industry had been closed down. Electrolux yeah. was like a huge factory. Everything, everything had basically closed down. All yeah. the jobs were gone. High unemployment. No job. Uh, some of my friends had been in Dublin, so they were like, oh, there's loads of jobs in Dublin. This is Celtic, oh, Celtic Tiger, Tiger Ireland. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So I literally just booked a flight. I won my tickets to Dublin uh, for the 12th of January and just said, I'll go over. If I don't get a job, I'll just go back home. Um, and I was going to stay for five months and I'm still here. So you weren't one of these guys who love river dance and you too and all that. That wasn't really your thing at all. It was like, are oh, you fucking need a job, basically? It was. It was literally that. I knew nothing. I knew nothing really about Ireland and Dublin, like except for like the very little that you'd learned in school or whatever. Yeah. So really didn't know anything. Just came here, worked, started working after like three days in O'Brien's uh, sandwich bar on Talbot Street in An the Irish absolute Life. Absolute classic. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was great. So and the plan was stay for five months. Make some money, go home, probably go to college or whatever. Yeah. Um, after two weeks of being here, I met my now husband. They'll do that to you all right, right? That's now, what happens. Sorry, I, I have to say on this podcast that this is revenge for all the Swedish girls who have taken the husbands back to Sweden, right? So you, you were the price we had to pay. You have to stay here. I was so, the one who had to stay. <laughs> exactly, yeah. 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 Um, what were your first impressions of Ireland? Because it was a very different country then. It had, there was a lot more money for the first time pretty much ever, right? But you were coming from a different tradition, a different school system. You know, things were completely different. So were you shocked? Were you surprised? Did you like it when you arrived here? Or were you just here because of the job and the fella you met? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because I've, I always find 
find it interesting when you come to a new place and you're like, but it's different being on holidays from when you're starting, like when you're staying somewhere for like at least a few months and you're working and you're basically living in that society. And I was pretty shocked, I have to say, like at certain things, uh, like particularly, I suppose, uh, like health, like obviously healthcare, uh, workers' rights, all that kind of stuff, which you're kind of starting to take in. Um, and obviously, I realised that this is not this is not Sweden, you know. <laughs> this is not welfare states kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then women's rights, obviously, in particular, um, the lack of abortion rights. And uh, at that time, you couldn't even get the morning after pill, you know. <laughs> was that a big shock to you when you arrived? You go, hang on a second here. What's going on, lads? Yeah. Two thousand five, like yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was. And I was just like, because I remember my friend. My friend had been here a few months. Uh, or a few of my friends had been here a few months before me, so before Christmas. And one of them told me that she had had a one-night stand the day after. She was like, I needed to get the morning after pill. Yep. And she literally felt like a criminal because she had to like try and clandestinely find yeah. out like where and the only place was the well woman center I yes, think. Yeah. so that's where she ended up but like there was no like you didn't have a smartphone there was no internet like all that kind of stuff yeah so she had to like clandestinely ask around and all this and she said she felt like a criminal and it's just absolutely i was just like this is outrageous well, well essentially at that time she was yeah you know because yeah. like th that's the way that these things were treated mm. for you know my entire life i left there in 1999 and those things i remember all the, the arguments about uh, in, even in just information you know phone numbers yeah. were, were illegal you know you couldn't distribute those kinds of things so i can only imagine what swedish girls coming over here would have thought of it you know and um, what else was there like when you first got a job in o'brien's there you mentioned workers rights and that kind of thing, right? We have an awful lot in common, more so with America than we do with Sweden, right? You hear mm. you work, you get paid, right? Mm. If you don't work, you're getting very, very little and mm. you better be able to work again soon, you know? Did it feel very insecure for them, for, uh, for you? Jeez, I can't speak any language this morning, but did it feel very yeah. insecure for you? Uh, I suppose not really because you're only there, because you know you're only going to be there for a few months mm. and you know that's just what you're, you do, you know, you kind of just get whatever, you take whatever job yeah, yeah. you get and you just do it and whatever, which is fine, but you're starting to kind of see, and like the way, like the manager, like some, some, like I had then a few different jobs and whatever and some managers were just horrible, you yeah, know, yeah. like absolutely horrible and I'm sure there's really bad managers in Sweden as well, so I'm not saying that there is, but it was a kind of, there's a slightly different atmosphere, you know. Um, whereas in Sweden, it's kind of like people are, are quite knowledgeable about their rights as workers mm. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I suppose you could you could just tell, you know. Yeah. And okay, there's something a little bit off here, kind yeah, of thing, you know. Yeah. Um, did you? A lot of what you would have had in the beginning was sort of casual jobs, part-time mm. jobs, lo not low-skilled, but you know, sort of, you know, the kind of thing that I think in, in Arbus Familia in Sweden they describe it as uh, you don't need any special education to do these things, yeah. right? Um, did that encourage you then to look into politics, into union rights and workers' rights, or was that always a sort of a part of who you were when you came here from Sweden? So I was, I was interested in left-wing politics when I was at home as well, yeah. right? So I. Uh, I went, I, I did theatre in high school, so yep. I did a theatre scout, and yep. uh, you know, that's it. You have, there's a certain atmosphere in those, yep. obviously, classes and stuff. It often you know? leans left and yeah, is creative yeah. and that kind of So, yeah. all the people that I ha hung around with were kind of left wingers, and obviously, mm. the Iraq War <clears throat> started in 2003 when I was still in school. So, that kind of. Was that a very radical time for young people in Sweden? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 
It was. And like I remember like the, the riots in Gothenburg as well in 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had friends who went um, to Gothenburg and like took part in the protests. Obviously, yeah. it was against the EU. It was a kind of anti-globalization movement and all that kind of stuff. So there was a kind of... I thought that the, there was a kind of anti-capitalist kind of... There was something thing going, thing on, going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, at the time, obviously that was a kind of global thing, but it was definitely there in Sweden. And I had friends who were in the left party and stuff like that, and anarchist friends and whatever. It's an amazing thing so. to think back to those because it is. It's twenty years ago now. And mm. um, was it easy to find an outlet for those political things here in Ireland when you got here, or were you sort of surprised with the political landscape as you found it? I was. I mean, at first, I didn't understand anything. <laughs> like, I was saying, what, what are these parties? Like, what is this, you know? Mm. Like, why do you have two main parties that are exactly the same? <laughs> this makes no sense. Like, you know, again. It makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, and that they were in opposition, you know? Yeah. Um, and and then who was in Fein? And like, what is this, you know? Uh, but let, let me pause you there, right? Yeah. I, my thesis, such as it is as a layman, is I basically have this thesis that, you know, left-wing politics died in the Stonebreakers' yard, yard not far from where we're sitting with James Connolly in 1916. And very little happened after that. So what was your impression of the Labour Party, Sinn Féin, the various other parties on the left? When you arrived here and you were looking for your spiritual home, what did you think when you... When you because we all know what the right-wing parties were like, but what was your impression of them coming from a sort of a left-wing background in Sweden? Yeah, so, I mean, I looked at, like... Because the Green, were the Green Party in government then... Well, around that time, anyway, the Green yeah. Party were in government with Fianna Fáil. Yeah. Um, what a great idea that was. Yeah, that worked, <laughs> that worked great, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that made it very clear, like, that they were not like Milieu Partiet. Yeah, yeah. Far from it, yeah. <laughs> Far from it. Uh, and obviously the Labour Party being really weak here, um, you're kind of first surprised just coming from social mm. democracy, you know, being a giant yeah. in terms of politics. Um so it was interesting. I mean, I I met my now husband, and he was involved in politics before me. Uh, but I was very easy to convince. <laughs> you know, <it laughs> you, you like, didn't take much encouraging. Like, no, to get no, that he though, was no? like, "I'm a socialist," and I was like, "Oh yeah, 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 I agree with all that stuff." You know. Yeah. So he said that before he even bought you a drink, kind of thing. You went, yeah, "Oh, by the way, I'm a socialist." You go, yeah, "Okay, you can stay." Less, <laughs> yeah. Um, when you look at those at, at that time, as I say, the Irish Labour Party is kind of unusual, and the Irish media landscape is kind of unusual because. <laughs> The unions don't really seem to be very uniony. You know, they don't seem to get on very well together. There's a lot yeah. of internal conflict, and in turn, then they can't actually make anything of the numbers that they clearly have. You know, um, did you sort of see that as being different? Because were your parents union members in Sweden, for instance? Uh, so yeah, they would have been. Uh, mm. Like my dad worked in a factory all his life. Yeah. Um, I mean, now he, to be honest, didn't have great experiences. He then was sacked while he was out sick, which is obviously not legal in, yeah, in Sweden no, to do no, yeah. that. But, of, but, I mean, the company got around it through whatever means, and yeah. then his union didn't really fight, you know? Never pushed back on that, no? no. and he, he tried to, like, but they, they just wouldn't really. Mm. So, so he didn't have a great experience, then my mom didn't have a great experience with the union in Sweden either. Mm. Like, just whatever... Um, through, through her work, she was a she was a nurse at the time, yeah. and um, had I don't want to go into that like, but um, she had certain issues and mm. she didn't really get much help from the union either. Yeah. Like, so, I suppose my so that exper- experience, I suppose, 
made me not too surprised to see what the Irish unions are yeah, like. Yeah. Uh, because uh, obviously in reality, I think most trade unions everywhere are the same, like that kind of bureaucracy that tends to kind yeah. of hold people back to a certain extent. Yeah, it weighs I mean, them they, down, they, doesn't they, it? They, they can decide to bring people in on an occasional basis, you know, which is great <laughs> when they do, yeah. don't get me wrong. Um, but a lot of the time they don't, which is a real problem. And that's, I mean, that's the case in Sweden as well, you know. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and, and the unions have so much power in Sweden that if they use them, yeah. They could really make a huge difference. Well, there's a know? case going on at Tesla at the yeah, moment. Yeah, it's really you know, interesting. Yeah, yeah, where they're trying to force them to recognise collective bargaining mm. and, and and other unions. This is what I mean about Irish unions. Mm -hmm. So the other unions are also saying, oh, by the way, we're going to join that struggle now. Yeah. We're not going to let these things happen. Whereas with the Irish unions, it always struck me like they were kind of sniping at one another. Going, oh yeah, the best to look to you, Eid. It's this kind of thing, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's part of it's part of the legislation as well because in here in Ireland. Unions can't take solidarity action yeah, because right. of the, the Industrial Relations Act of 1990. So, so it's, which is crazy, absolutely. It's wild, yeah. Yeah, uh, bonkers. But, but I suppose again, it's one that that's how society was formed over the sort of hundred odd years of the free mm. state. You know, yeah. And um, when you did get into politics, right? Um, you live in South Dublin, right? You in Clondalkin, somewhere in that direction. So I'm a uh, I'm a public rep yeah, in the uh, North Clondalkin, Palmerstown, and bit of Lucan. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's where your voters are, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you live in that area or do you live around so here? I actually don't. I live in Kilmainham. Um, well, maybe not for very long because we're being evicted. That's another <laughs> so, story. But that's another story. Uh, but yeah, so I got involved in politics and I worked, I, I basically worked for the party for a long time before I became a public rep. And, and the party is people before profit. Uh, yeah, yeah, party is people before yeah. profit. Uh, before then I was uh, selected. I wasn't elected, I was selected for co-option. So Gino Kenny, who's a TD in Dublin Midwest, yep. he got elected, he was a councillor, got elected to the doll, uh, and I was selected by the branch to take the council to seat. To take his seat on the mm. council then, yeah. Um, did, did you have that kind of ambition when you started working for the party? <laughs> no, I'm shaking my head. No. <laughs> this is a podcast here, you want to see the shake of the head there, lads. <laughs> oh, Jesus, you didn't have that. Uh, so you, that really wasn't where you saw yourself going, was it? No, and like I enjoyed doing the kind of behind the scenes stuff in terms of like mm. working for the party or whatever, doing that kind of stuff, um, helping organize in the background, uh, which I really enjoyed, you know, but, uh, and the, the plan originally was that I was going to just take the council seat for a few months and then maybe we would put someone else in there and <laughs> whatever, things then just went on <laughs> and I stayed and then um, I got elected then in the elections in 2019 mm. uh, which was really nice and when you find yourself in that right because you're not alone in sort of you know reversing into politics you know coming in by a side door and going oh all of a sudden I'm here now you know what was it like putting yourself forward for election in North Pondock and, and around Lucan and that for the first time you know when you go knocking on doors because one of the hardest things a lot of politicians find is asking people to vote for them you know you're literally going mm. trust me kind of thing did mm. you find that very difficult coming in yeah it is and particularly in the beginning it's really weird having your face on a leaflet and on the posters like it's just it's mortifying at the beginning <laughs> and then you just have to get your kind of you have to just kind of put a block on that and just say <laughs> and for me it was all it was always about the party and about the policies and yeah. it's not about me like and I still feel the same like it's not about me it's about it's been 
it's about the work that I do, but that's not for me. It's yeah. for the party. It's for the ordinary working class people who yeah. did come out and vote for me uh, because they realised that I'm the same as them, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> and that I'm just an ordinary person trying to do the best for... For ordinary people. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, when you knock on the doors, because one of the things is that, like, you know, it, just because people are working class doesn't mean they share the same opinions as you, me, or anybody else, right? Yeah. You'll get people from the very far right to the very far left. Mm. What's it like? Do you stand there sort of, you know... It's shivering a little bit when you knock on the door and go, Jesus, I've no idea what this person's going to say. No, not at all, actually. <laughs> do you know what? We do a lot of door knocking sort of yeah. in between elections. So we would go out like three times a week, even yeah. when there's no election. I think you're going out today after uh, we talk, aren't you? Uh, so I'm going, yeah, I, I was out yesterday. I'm going out tomorrow. Again, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Thursday. Yeah. So we do three times a week, which is, and do you know what? I enjoy it. Mm. Like, and to be honest, of course, you're going to get people who are like, no, I don't agree with you on X, yeah. Y, and Z. It's fine, you know? Now, I have no problem with that. Do you stay there and try to convince them uh, <laughs> you do? Well, it depends. <laughs> you see, if someone comes out and shouts at me, I'm not going to take abuse. So then I walk away. Yeah. Like, there's no, and there's no point, you know? But I think, and particularly at the moment, when kind of, when obviously there's a rise in racism, or at least a kind of anti-immigration sentiment, I should say, rather than racism, but... Mm. But that, a lot of that is coming from frustration and like people are angry, particularly about the housing crisis yeah. and, and people are right to be angry and you kind of, I think sometimes you have to have a conversation with people and say, well look, I understand that you are angry, but think about who Who's is fault? responsible yeah. and why are we in this situation and is it someone who arrived yesterday uh, from, uh, from Algeria or Afghanistan or wherever? Yeah. Are they to blame, or is it the government, or successive governments, and the landlords, and a bunch of funds? Yeah. Like, and have those conversations. Sometimes yeah. you're not going to convince people, and sometimes people will say, well, I agree with you on that. Yeah. And at least you can come away having agreed on something, you yeah. know? And at least having those conversations, I think, is important. And, just not, say, and not just saying, oh, well, pointing fingers and saying, oh, you're a racist, I'm not going to talk to you. Because yeah. what's the po- like, I don't see the point in doing that, and I want to try and convince people about why they should be blaming the people the, who are yeah, responsible, the people, the people at the yeah. top. Uh, and, and that sometimes means having those hard discussions, yeah. which, which is fine. Would you be nervous now, because your party colleague, Paul Murphy, and one or two others in the party have had people picketing outside their houses, uh, you've had all ma- like I mean I'm sure you get them yourself all manner of threats from, from anonymous people on the internet yeah, yeah. and that kind of thing you know yeah it's I mean a- yeah I've had threats and stuff I mean look you have to you have to just get on with what you're doing uh, it doesn't mean like obviously you have to take precautions and all that kind of stuff and make yeah. sure that people are safe and particularly your team like if you're going out with people making sure that everyone is safe and I'm more almost more concerned about the people who are with me than, yeah, yeah. you know in, in one sense but look in the reality is that the vast majority of people there's a very very small minority of people who are like that right? yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and you have to stand up to those people and point out actually that they with what they're doing and attacking the left is that they're defending the establishment. Yeah. That is what they're doing in reality, is defending the establishment uh, because they know that the left is a, is a threat to the establishment. Yeah. So that's in reality what's going on here. And you have to point that out and be very strong and very clear that that is completely, and obviously the stuff that they've been doing is completely unacceptable. 
um, and uh, and you have to, you know, report stuff, you know, if, if you have to to the guards and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Like, do they do anything? The guards. guards, yeah. Well, they'll take your statement <laughs> and roll it up into a ball five minutes after you left and throw it out in the bin. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. it's one but thing trying to convince people on the doorsteps, right? So you knock on somebody's door and they come out and they go, "No, no, it's like you know, it's all these people coming here from Ukraine. We can't afford it. We need to house the Irish first. That's one thing, right?" But in the chamber, right? Are you? Is it Dublin City Council? You're, yeah, you're South in South Dublin County Council. South Dublin County Council, right? You go in there, you know the people, the men and women on the other side of the house, you know the people who are diametrically opposed to you, who look at you going, here's this imported Swedish left winger coming here and telling us how to do things, right? Can you talk to them at all? Because you often have party whips saying, no, no, you have to vote in this way. Mm. And they literally don't get to think. They just go, okay, I've been told to vote this way. Is there any convincing them? Is there any drawing them into where you are? Or can they convince you of any of this, do you think? Yeah, no, I don't think you can convince them. I mean, there's... There's a few different types of, I suppose, right-wingers or, like, councillors or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, they're the ones who are just there to make a few bob, who don't give a shite, to, <laughs> to, be yeah. to be perfectly honest, who don't really care about anything. They'll, they might do a few things for their own local area or whatever yeah. to get a few votes. Uh, yeah, here's a few bins at a bus stop, lads. Yeah, Walk away. Yeah, that kind <laughs> of stuff, right? So there's those ones, uh, and they don't really care about politics, <laughs> Do you know, yeah, uh, and they're mainly there to make a few extra bob. Yeah. Uh, then, then there's the ones who are kind of more careerist, interested in a career, uh, and they tend to be more kind of strict in terms of the party line and all yeah. that. Yeah, kind of and they have one eye um, on Kildare Street and Doll yeah, and, and the yeah, Shannon yeah, yeah, and all these things. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And look, I mean, I, I'm not in there to convince those people. Like that's not my job. Yeah. My job is to be in there to represent ordinary working-class people, to raise the issues that matter to working-class people and to fight as hard as possible for those things. And I don't think you get anything done by, in reality by trying to convince the other side. Yeah. Uh, you get things done by obviously organising outside of the council in terms of protests and, um, and movements on the streets and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then within the council, there's very limited things that you can... Yeah, do, there's a know. budget and there's projects that are going to get funded and whoever's in power gets to decide those yeah, things at the time yeah, then, yeah yeah. yeah? yeah, yeah, And it's all horse trading around paid positions like the chairs of the committees and all this kind of stuff. And I, I don't get involved in any of it, like, because I don't care. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not but, the, but there are people, as you say, who are looking for the extra few bob, oh, who go, oh, well, I could yeah, get five grand if I do this or, yeah, or yeah. whatever, you know? Um, those people who do those things, because we've always had, not always, and it's, you know, you don't want to tire anybody with the same brush, but we've had situations where you'll have landlords sitting on South mm. Dublin County Council or in Dublin County Council, and they're sort of, you know, legislating for themselves. There's huge conflicts of interest that never even come up mm. that we've seen in many, many aspects of Irish public life. Is it, is it something that's endemic, or is it something that, is any attention paid to any of that now, Madden, when they're, when they're giving out these jobs? Oh, hang on a second, you own a block of flats, you know, down mm. on uh, Townsend yeah. Street or whatever, no? No, there isn't really. I mean, they do have to declare. Uh, so there's the ethics register where you have to declare any other income uh, and any like uh, property that you own. Yeah, any interests. Any interests yeah. and that kind of stuff. The register of interests. So you have to do that as a councillor. But a, <laughs> we know already that half of them don't actually uh, <laughs> declare stuff. They lie, to be honest. Um, and then B, in reality, that makes no difference because they can still go in and vote and 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 obviously there are certain things that where you are supposed to like recuse yourself yeah. uh, from votes if you're directly if it 
directly benefits you financially or a family member of yours financially and it has happened actually um, and to be fair this was a Sinn Féin councillor and it wasn't him it was a family member or something and he did recuse himself yeah. when the discussion it was something I can't remember if it was a it might have been during the development plan or something so there was something around maybe zoning or something and he, he basically said I have to declare that I have a family member who is uh, but, but has an interest in this, so I will recuse myself. Yeah. Which is which is good when when they do that. But I suspect is, is that, that it, it happens and people don't. Is that the exception though, rather yeah, than the rule? Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, but it's hard to kind of know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for well, certain. Then part of it as well is sort of cultural. Like if you've always done something a certain way, then you can kind of understand why people don't. No, that's not to excuse it, mm. but you know you can understand. We're talking now, uh, there's European elections coming up, there's local elections coming mm. up, you'll be out knocking on the doors looking for a few votes. What are people concerned? Is housing the number one thing that people talk to you about, above yeah. all else? Yes, That's housing it. is, when you go around and ask people, I mean obviously people will raise things like footpaths needing to be fixed and all that kind of stuff, yeah. right, which is different, but in terms of political issues, housing is the one thing that comes up all the time and people are so frustrated you have like particularly when i'm knocking around like areas like north Kandakan or whatever where people are living three sometimes even four generations in the same house and they're overcrowded and people have nowhere to go there's people who are family members who are in homelessness in emergency accommodation people who are couch surfing it's just Relentless, you yeah. know, it's just endless and it's heartbreaking. Absolutely, heartbreaking. I, I can imagine the stories you hear because people always say if you're if you have the word C L L or the letter C L L R councillor after your name, people think that you have a magic wand and you can solve this and you can find apartments and this kind of thing. But so I can imagine some of the horror stories that you get to hear. Is it is it regular that people come to you with these issues and say, Madeleine, can you help me with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you get calls and texts and. Uh, and then on the doors as well with people and like it's and you have to be really honest with people and say well look this is what I can do as in I can contact the council I can find out where you are on the list I can make a representation on your behalf I can get you a form for medical project whatever it might be like those kind of things but obviously I can't I can't uh, give magic you, houses out of there because it's not, it's not in my power to do that if it was I would yeah. uh, but um, but obviously we have a housing crisis because of uh, governments not building housing for decades you know That's, how, how would you fix this you have to build build public housing like it's as simple as that on public lands I think there are auxiliary things that you need to do so you need to set up a state-owned construction company so that it's not completely outsourced all the time to private builders because we know look at the children's hospital and let's not get started on that discussion yeah. but, you know there's loads of problems at the moment uh, with all that so in reality you need a state-owned construction company you need to take the public land you need to build public housing so social and affordable but particularly social housing right because if you build i mean we have about 100,000 people in the country who are on waiting lists for social housing. 100,000 people? Yeah, about, if you take the whole country. Um, yeah. There's 10,000 in South Dublin County Council on the social housing waiting list. If you take into account 
the six to seven thousand on the like regular list and then there's obviously all the people who are on hop who have been taken off the normal housing list so they yeah. don't count in the figures but there's say yeah. another four or five thousand of them so there's so, so, so hop is the housing ten. assistance program and that's paid yeah. to private landlords so the people yeah. get who should be getting social housing off the state it's they're getting it through the private yeah, market yeah, instead. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and so if you just build like huge numbers of social housing and then obviously you need to build the amenities and facilities and all that kind yeah, of stuff the bus stops and the bins yeah yeah all that but if you did that you would take pe- the people who are currently on HAP, you move them into social housing, it frees up mm-hmm. the private uh, houses in the private sector, in the private rented uh, yeah. market, for the people who are in the private rented mar- yeah. market. The rents will go down because obviously it opens up supply. Supply increases, yeah. So uh, it's, a, it's a no-brainer. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, I know then obviously there's people who want to buy who can't afford to buy, so there is a question about affordable housing. Uh, but that needs to be really truly affordable yeah, yeah. rather than the kind of affordable housing scheme that they have at the moment which isn't affordable yeah which is 300,000 you know for, but, but for it's also like, like all of those things you just tend to put up the prices because people go oh well, like, there's a first time buyer's grant for X we'll just stick that on top of the price of the house like, yeah and yeah, yeah. And it's just go, going straight know? to the builders yeah. and the developers um, I think it was Leo Varadkar said the other day that you know he would love house prices to come down but not too fast right because Okay, we have institutional investors, and you mentioned hedge funds and vulture funds, that kind of thing. But there's also people like, you know, couples who went, okay, and they were essentially told, right, if you have a few bob over, buy a house, rent it out, that kind of thing. They're also, in many places, you know, lower middle class or working class people, right? Do we have to, do they have to take a hit so that the rest of the country can recover? Because this is one of those questions you're going to get in the doors, I would assume, as well, you know? Yeah, I mean, look, I think. I think that is unfortunately probably the case, and and look, there will be obviously individuals who yes, and people, and I know God. I remember when I first came here in the Celtic Tiger days, everyone was told basically to go out buy now, buy now, I mean, that, yeah. That's what was going on at the time, and it was disgraceful, right? Yeah. And I saw it, and I because I, I remember those property supplements in the papers and all, and I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> this is just bananas, you know? Uh, and it wasn't strange to me that it all came crashing from, down, came crashing like, down. Yeah. like it wasn't, you know, it was obvious that that's wh- where it was going, you know? But and obviously, there are people who did that who thought they were doing the right thing and whatever, right? And and obviously, who have done that maybe recently as well, but. And unfortunately, it is probably the case that some of those people are going to have to take a hit. But but let's not forget that those people, a lot of those people have also made some money, right? Yeah. yeah. And and I'm I'm slightly reluctant to do the whole poor landlord thing for the the accidental landlord yeah, and yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff, right? Because I think well, there are some people like that, and I'm not disputing that there isn't. I don't think that's the majority of is like, it the root of the problem really yeah, is it yeah. I don't think so yeah. and 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 there aren't that many of those people like yeah. as in in comparison to the, the amount of people who are struggling in terms of housing in, ter- in terms of social housing waiting lists people who can't get private rented accommodation can't afford like mm-hmm. and and of course the 13,000 homeless <laughs> yeah, yeah you know so if you compare those figures and considering the suffering that's going on at the moment mm-hmm. I think sometimes that's just what you have to sometimes you have to make decisions that are gonna hurt. Yeah. Some, and some and people, at yeah. the end of the day, you know, like a hundred thousand people on housing waiting lists, you know, they have votes too. You know, mm. they need to be looked after as well. Yeah. Uh, when you look around, right? So you've been here nineteen years. You've been in politics for quite some time now. Employed by the party, you've been a councillor. You've seen what happens on the chamber floor and in government. That kind of. Thing. Are you hopeful at all, or do you just want to fucking tear your hair out every day when you go out canvassing? <laughs> <laughs> 
both. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tearing my hair out hopeful here, Phil. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is a bit of both. I mean, being in the council is really frustrating. Like, ah, frustrating. I have a council meeting this afternoon, and it's just. I see you have you know, your boxing gloves in your bag there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's frustrating. Um, but you do that. Beca- I do it precisely because I have hope that things can be better. Like otherwise, I wouldn't do it. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. I'd be I'd be given up, you know. Yeah. Um, and but I do feel hopeful because I've seen like I suppose that's part of the good thing about having grown up in a different country mm. is that I've seen how things can be done differently. Like now, obviously, what's happening in Sweden is terrible at the moment mm. in terms of the welfare state and whatever. But but look, I had. I was in a crash when I was a kid. I got fed. I got free school lunch every single day when I was in school for mm. nine, uh, for nine, twelve, twelve. How long was I? In Thirteen years, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> twelve years. Yeah. Uh, you know, like those things are really important, and like you, you can do those things. Like it's possible to make things better for mm. working class people, but you have to fight for it. And I yeah. think that's and, and somebody has to pay for it as well. Like you know, so yeah, people yeah, have absolutely. to pay taxes and, and do those things. And you have to think things. about who do you, who. Who do you think should pay? And like Ireland is a really, really rich country, but that wealth is in the pockets of a very, very small number of people, and mm. they're the people that we need to go after mm. to pay for for the things that ordinary people need. But yeah. it's possible. Like it's it's absolutely possible to do that. Mm. To do that. Like, and that's where that's how I keep going every day. Yeah, when well you get up every morning to go out <laughs> knocking on doors, and um, when you look at the situation here. <clears throat> We've had, like, I mean, everything, sort of everything in inverted commas, points to Mary Lou MacDonald being the next Taoiseach of Ireland, the first woman to run the country, the first time Sinn Féin will have been in government since the foundation of the state, pretty much, right? Um, Does that give you cause for hope, or do you suspect, like many others, that they're going to turn out to be Fianna Fáil light? Yeah, I don't... Took a while to get that answer started. (laughs) I know, I, I, I wish... I wish that I could say, oh, yeah, it would yeah. be great. But that's not what I think, to be honest. I think that Sinn Féin will... I mean, the numbers won't be there for any sort of left... There'll be like no radicalisation. Like, going nuts I don't see that happening, you know. Yeah. So the question then is, will Sinn Féin go in with Fianna Fáil? They probably will. Um and what, what type of government will that be, you know? And it will be some kind of mishmash. And look, we've seen what Sinn Féin have done in the North. They have implemented austerity on behalf of the Tories mm. in the North. They have uh, agreed to reduce corporation tax uh, in the North. So I don't think that Sinn Féin are going to do what they're sort of promising working class people that they're going to do. Mm. And I think they... I think they're probably going to let people down, uh, but that's that's why I'm not in Sinn Féin. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, so the PVP yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, that's be- that's mm-hmm. because I don't uh, I don't think that they're going to do what's necessary. I also think, in reality, in in the kind of situation we're in globally, uh, in terms of the capitalist system, you also need to go way beyond uh, the kind of capitalist system to actually get real change so you yeah. need you you need to go <laughs> go much much further it's much bigger than that kind of thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. now if you look at the left party in sweden then the party it's look at yourselves pbp here and that like it tends to recommend or to, to, to appeal to a minority of people now a very loyal minority of people but that might be you know five percent ten percent you know that, that will always vote for you guys 
is that enough, right? Because often what you'll get accused of is being the hurler on the ditch, being Cassandra saying everything's terrible, but you kind of know that, you know, oh, well, the lefties will never be in government, so they can say what they want and they never have to take responsibility for it. Is that something that annoys you? Are you there as a bellwether, or do you really think that you can affect change from your party? I think we can affect change, and I think, but I think there's a question about how you affect change, mm-hmm. you know? And do you believe that you affect change by going in to the institutions, whether it's the council or the doll, and do it from the inside, or do you think that you should be doing it from the outside? Mm-hmm. And I think that you can affect change from the outside. And you use the positions, like we stand in elections because we understand that we can use those positions to help build movements on the streets outside. So take the water charges, for example. Like, it's a really good example where we won, you know? Uh, and that wasn't one in the doll. It was one on the streets. Yeah. It was one because people refused to pay. Like, that is the reality of what happened. Yeah. Like, if people had not refused to pay, had not come out onto the streets, we would be paying They'd for be paying water, water bills now, like yeah. That's, that's the reality. Yeah. And we used our positions, both in the Dáil and on the councils, to organise that movement. Yeah. And that's, in my mind, how you affect change. And even even in on the bigger scale than, yeah. you know... I think change happens outside of those institutions yeah. more so than inside. So, so you don't have to have the titles, you don't have to have the Taoiseach's office or the Minister for Finance to change. You can change things from the street level, is what you mean? Yeah, I, I, that's, what, that's what I think. And I think ultimately you need a different type of democratic structure. Mm. Uh, you need to completely break down the current structure in society and build up new structures where yeah. people have real... Uh, control over their lives that can make real decisions where ordinary working class people can make decisions mm. uh, not just sort of going to vote <laughs> every five years yeah. or whatever but actually make decisions on a day to day basis through their workplaces uh, being and, involved in yeah, these things yeah, yeah. and communities yeah. you know? um, that's, that's communism <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. socialism <laughs> <laughs> one step at a time here, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, you didn't mean to get involved in politics. You didn't never meant to get elected. Really. That was never the dream. Would you ever no. see yourself in Dáil Éireann? Would you ever see yourself in the Shannon? Will you do whatever the movement asks of you? Or do you have a line in the sand where you go, ah, it's not worth it? I think, do you know, it, it, for me, because for me it's about the party, so it's not about me. Yeah. So it is about, if the party asked me to, to do those things, I would consider yeah. doing those things, right? And now the Shannon is different kettle of fish because I don't necessarily agree with its existence. <laughs> at all, yeah. <laughs> at all. There's actually people in the Shannon who a few years ago didn't ex- agree with its existence yeah, either, yeah, yeah. so you're all right there. I know, you know? <laughs> I know. But I would ha- I would, that would be more concerning for me, so I would, I would have to have a good thing about that one. Right, uh, so that's the one I wouldn't say yes to, possibly, but uh, but the dawn. I'm waiting for my Irish citizenship, so I'm not uh, eligible yet. But that's true, yeah, Jesus. Well, look at we'll have a word with a few different uh, people in embassies and that kind of thing, see if we can get I've it. I've applied you know? and it's sitting on a desk somewhere. somewhere. Well, you never know, they might be looking up, googling you and seeing you on all these protests and yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, and they're like, know? she's not fit. <laughs> <laughs> Send her back to Sweden. Monday, it's been fascinating to talk to you. Uh, the best look in the elections. Oh, thanks, uh, thanks. Enjoy knocking on the doors and talking to people out there. Yeah, and yeah. who knows, we might check in with you after the summer again and see how things went and if things are improving at all after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and it was great to, ha- great to have a chat. And yeah, I hope all the Irish people in, in Sweden are enjoying life over there. Well, I'll have them all in North Dock and I'll have them sharing it with all their friends and relatives yeah, there as well. Yeah, yeah. You know? But for now, thanks very much for talking to me. Cheers, thanks. There you go. Amazing chance to speak to Maddie you once on there. 
and as we were leaving, it was very odd altogether because we talked about housing there and how important that particular issue is. And it also was something that's come up uh, with Mary Lou MacDonald in the interview I did with her last week as well. And as we were leaving, I was walking back up towards the Lewis. And as Madde mentioned there in the interview, she's actually in the process of being evicted at the moment. So we're walking back up and uh, she says, oh, yeah, I'll walk part of the way, which I live up that direction. And we stopped outside Tahani House and she says, I live here. And Tahani House has one, been one of those places, right? So it's in Kimmage uh, in, in Dublin City, sort of just to Dublin West as you head out there towards Clondalkin and that. And it's been quite famous because of the efforts by the residents like Madda in their efforts to sort of stay there. Because, you know, it's not the best building in the world, but it's perfectly serviceable accommodation. And there's no real need for all these people to be kicked out of it. It's just basically somebody trying to cash in on it. So uh, it was fascinating to see that she's one of the residents who, who lived there. And uh, now she has to go and find somewhere else to live, you know. So it certainly is one of the most... Uh, pressing questions, if you like, for the Irish government at the moment. And it doesn't matter who's in government, they're going to have to fix this one way or the other, you know. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting times ahead, not just for her in local politics, but also for national politics when a general election does come in Ireland. Now, as I say, loads of stuff coming up there with St. Patrick's Day. I'm going to be present in Stockholm. I'm going to be running around the place with my camera. I'll be doing some interviews on the stage there, I believe. And I'll also be visiting some of the uh, some of the tents there. And this year, we're going to be on the stage at Kungsted Gordon in Stockholm, which is a fine size of a yoke altogether, right? So none of your tents anymore, lads. The Swedish Irish Society are doing a brilliant job, and it's going from strength to strength to strength, right? So you definitely want to get involved there, and we'll talk about all the sponsors uh, who are looking after that and are generously supporting that the closer we get to the event. Uh, the sponsor of this podcast, of course, are our good friends in Veerstrom's Pub. And lads, don't wait, right? Book your tables now for the day or the aftermath of the St. Patrick's Day Parade. We all know the Six Nations is on and the Premier League is on and it's all getting excited. Don't don't wait, right? Get your bookings in now to Martin Hessian. Tell him the Irish and Sweden podcast sent you and that you want to get stuck in. Uh, so yeah, get that done. The Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden, of course, have been ger- very generous sponsors of this podcast in the past make sure you get along to their St. Patrick's Day lunch. If you want to get involved yourself, right, uh, patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm. Uh, I would love to get you there for a five or a month. Uh, if you can't do that, you can always swish a few bob to one two three two four two four one six six. That's one two three two four two four one six six, and help me keep the lights on. As I say, together with Ant and with Molly, I'm trying to uh, level up a little bit. You know, we're trying to get around the country and indeed, just after uh, St. Patrick's Day, I'm going to be down in Gothenburg. So I'm hoping Hopefully going to meet some of the people in the community down there and I'll be stopping off in Yon shopping hopefully on the way back. Uh, I'll tell you why a little bit closer to the event there. So if you do know of any Irish people in Yon shopping actually you can get in touch because I might have a few hours to spare there where we could bump into somebody, sit down, have an El Fica and see what they're up to down there on the edge of the lake. And last but not least, if you can't afford to support the podcast that's grand, right? But I would ask that you share it, right? So if, and again this happened to me uh, on a couple of times like in the plane, in the airport and that kind of thing and people ask you, you know, where to find information and you tell them that you make a podcast for the Irish in Sweden and they say, oh jeez, I never heard of that and that's because we don't move in the same circles I was talking to who was I talking to there? There's somebody in the airport was saying that, you know, there's a, basically there's like satellites, if you like, right? There's people who are involved in Gaelic football and people who are involved in Longholman and people who are involved up in Yavla and in Vesteros and in Lulio and in Ustersund and, and in Jönköping. And there's no overlap. So sometimes we don't bump into one another, right? So if you could share this on your social media, if you could share it on WhatsApp with any friends you have in Sweden, Irish people, or Swedish friends in Ireland, you know, anything at all that helps me grow the podcast, hopefully it won't cost you anything to do so, but it really helps 
trust me okay so if you can find two or three or five or ten people to share it with if you're in the international english school you might mention it in the staff room someday or fire it around to your colleagues there and she never know there might be a few english people or a few americans who might get something out of it as well we won't turn down listeners here lads we're very happy to have a very broad definition of the swedish irish community listen i'm going to shut up now because i want to get this uploaded for kevin carroll for seven o'clock in the morning before i do that i would like to wish tara o'neill a very happy birthday uh, tara as you'll know has uh, played football for the stockholm gale she's been involved in the irish chamber of commerce and indeed she's lived with us here uh, the lance o'connor family on the north side of the city on and off and she's just a wonderful person we're delighted that she's back in sweden and we're hoping that she stays after her master so a very happy birthday to you tara i'm looking forward to seeing you maybe we can celebrate it together at some time over the next couple of weeks until next week my friends i want you to look after yourselves and look after one another and we'll be back again soon with another episode of the irish in sweden podcast good luck take care